Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. And Nigel, there's been plenty going on this week, but I want to wind back the clock to February when we predicted that America's withdrawal from sort of policing the world and some perceived weakness was going to lead to more geopolitical crises than what we'd seen in Afghanistan and, of course, Ukraine. Do you think Israel is the, the latest example in that trend? And is there more to come? Yes. I mean, we've been right about this. It, ironic, isn't it? When Biden's inauguration speech, America is back. You know, America's back on the world stage. And actually, from Afghanistan onwards, they've simply withdrawn. The most astonishing thing that one of the biggest geopolitical errors of the last few years has been support for Iran. The Iran nuclear deal, sponsored by Obama, supported by the European Union, Boris Johnson as foreign secretary, one of the biggest cheerleaders for it. And guess what's happened? Billions of dollars have been freed up for Iran. They've ignored the nuclear non-proliferation side of it. And they are busy now funding, training Hezbollah, Hamas, and all these groups um, around that region. And of course, it was in the middle of August this year that for, for exchange for hostages, Biden gave them $6 billion. 17th of August, Trump said, if you do this, it's going to have devastating consequences. And my goodness me, hasn't it? So yes, weak American leadership, withdrawal from Afghanistan, Ukraine, and now this. And you know, I'm afraid, without fear of America, uh, people can do pretty much what they want. Now, you know, Biden now, of course, says we're right behind Israel, and they've parked a big carrier uh, a few miles off the coast of Gaza. Um, but yeah, I, I have absolutely no doubt that the Biden administration and, and a, a, a really catastrophic policy towards Iran has been a major, major part of this. Uh, the question really is what happens next. Uh, catastrophic failure of intelligence by Netanyahu. Uh, we're told, not just by the Egyptians, but we're also told now that the Saudis had some intelligence that something was going on. Because don't forget, you know, since the Abraham Accords, Israel's relations with the UAE and other countries have improved, trade's improved, tourism's improved, and Saudi was very, very close to the deal. Somehow, Netanyahu seemed to send troops to the West Bank and not keep them in Gaza. It's a really dramatic failure on behalf of Netanyahu, who is now fighting for his political life. He won't survive this. And with, you know, within a few months, Netanyahu will be gone. All of which makes me think that with 100,000 Israeli troops and reservists now lined up in southern Israel, facing Gaza, um, that they're going to go in within the next few days. It'll be, if you know, just imagine if you were a 19-year-old um, Israeli conscript. I mean, it's going to be shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, we know that food and water is running out. Uh, there's almost no electricity in Gaza at all. So I, I, I suspect by the time we speak again this time next week, something very, very bleak uh, will have occurred. But, you know, wh what else can Israel do? What else can Israel do? And in particular, what else, now that he's in a corner and he's failed, can Netanyahu do? So, uh, yeah, there is a real worry here. And, and of course, we've seen him in the north of Israel. Uh, we have seen some activity from Hezbollah, though not very much. And that's the real worry that Israel sharp with a war on two fronts. Let's look at this from more of an investment angle. The threat is that this will escalate, not just necessarily within the Middle East, but that 
this broader trend of challenging America's dominance will spread to even more places. Do you think people need to think about that when they're making their investment decisions and how should it influence those decisions? Well, I mean, number one, you know, the markets overall do look in a very jittery, very nervous uh, state. Uh, and, and, you know, it's going to be, would be a huge surprise if we didn't get a major overall stock market correction over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. I'd be very surprised if that didn't happen. Uh, I think all the indicators are there. A lot of contradictory economic signals, but 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 clearly, uh, you know, long-term rates are now, we're just at the 30-year gills, long-term rates are now where they are. Maybe we haven't fully readjusted to a world that's come off zero interest rates uh, and a sudden realisation with rates being higher for longer that debt levels, are, you know, whether it's personal, corporate or national. I mean, just think about it. The UK government's second biggest expenditure now is debt interest. I mean, uh, when I was talking about this in 2015, everyone laughed at me. Oh, well, don't worry about little things like that. Well, yeah, do worry. You know, our debt interest is now 110 billion a year. So we are in a position where corrections will happen. I guess the big risk is, and you know, history history never follows itself exactly, but with the Yom Kippur War of 1973, exactly 50 years ago this week, um, kind of the response of Arab states, as through OPEC, which then was incredibly dominant, um, the response was to use it as an opportunity to announce production cuts. And the price of, the price of oil tripled, you know, leading in 1974 to a very, very serious Western recession. That, Nick, is the big risk. The big risk here now, I think, for investors, is the risk of an energy spike. It's extraordinary how how similar the uh, the history rhyming story is this time around with the first inflationary spike and then this threat of this the energy shock and, and then the threat of inflation returning. Uh, but let's turn to, to the second story I want to ask you about. It's also related to the Fleet Street letter. It was our most recent issue where we discussed the, the need for home building in the UK and how yeah. it might to position themselves. We've had since then a fair bit of news from the housing industry, but the most interesting piece from this week was that Sir Keir Starmer announced Labour's proposals, which were largely a bit familiar sounding, but there was one key difference when it came to the, the Green Bill. Uh, so take us through what you make of that. Well, look, I mean, actually, if you really boil it all down, the policies are identical. Because <laughs> they're both saying they'll build 300,000 new houses every year. That's our target for 2023. As I told you last time around, it'd be unlikely to be more than 160,000. Um, Starmer determined to meet this number quite how he does that uh, whilst he wants to stay in line with a series of EU directives on nitrates and much else I don't know. Um, but what's really... So, so actually, you know, Starbuck wants to build new towns um, and by green belt, he means green spaces. He doesn't mean the rings around Manchester and London and Birmingham. I'm, I'm certain of that. Um, but I think that um, he, he did show determination um, and... Given that his whole conference speech only gave two pledges, one more green energy because it's going to be cheaper, huh? um, and two house building, it's kind of the only real commitment he's made uh, for when he wins the election next year, which he will. Um, the, you know, I was up at Manchester for the Tory conference. Um, it's over. It's over. That they have no chance at all. There is nothing now they can do. Um, I hear today Rishi is pushing ahead hard uh, with proposed legislation to ban the sale of cigarettes to anyone born after 2009. That's not even in people's top 50 priorities. 
you know, they're not connecting. So I think a Labour government is absolutely a nailed on cert. And I was a bit sceptical when you were talking about maybe we should be buying into house builders because of the barriers that they face. But somehow, somewhere, there's going to have to be an awful lot of houses built in the first term of a Labour administration, or they will have failed. So I'm beginning to think that you were right about this. You know, it's a bizarre scenario that things have gotten so bad in housing. All these different places around the world, actually, like, how could this get so bad? Well, all, uh, you know, the same issues everywhere. And no discussion, no discussion about demand, all supply, all about supply. I mean, when Starville was asked, net migration's running at 600,000, do you have a problem with that? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, so the population explosion is going to continue. And it's why I've always said, even with interest rates and even with 1.6 million mortgages needing to be rolled over next year, even if the housing market is down 15%, which it is, you know, those middle and bottom rungs of the housing market ain't going to fall that much further. They can't. It's a simple demand supply equation. Not unless we have an almighty recession. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this content, you can get it every single day. Just click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com. Get a daily email from our team of experts. Thank you. Let's turn to your friends over at the EU. They've got themselves into a bit of debt. Uh, the, the figures are quite staggering, actually. Uh, the EU's debt pile, so this is the European Union, not its member states, the European Union as an entity, uh, is set to reach 900 billion euros by the end of 2026, so a doubling from, from the current uh, situation. I, I'm I, I'm a bit worried about them, Nigel. Well, yeah, because they, you know, they're not really a fully-fledged central bank. They don't have lender of the last resort facilities. Uh, they rely on the goodwill of their governments. Uh, we're beginning to see you know, a much more nationalistic pose. I mean, look at the recent elections in Slovakia as an example. Uh, you know, you add to that Poland, Hungary, um, who knows, you never know what Italy will or won't do. Um, so, yeah, kind of who picks up the tab for all of this? It's, 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 it's kind of, when they introduced the Economic and Monetary Union, they thought the political union would follow as night follows day. But actually, the only way you can really establish an Economic and Monetary Union is to first have a political union. And they never ever did that. Um, so at some point, point that becomes a real problem um and i don't think anybody in the eu has any answers to this whatsoever well they tried to do it didn't they but they fail um the, the part of this that, that fascinates me that i really want, want to ask you about is well first of all actually i want to mention the fact that it's called the next generation eu program as in they're passing the debt onto the next generation the, the, the real point here is the fact that the eu's yield so the interest they're paying is higher than that of france and Germany, which suggests there's some sort of divergence between the various different borrowers in the EU. And that's the sort of thing that's not supposed to happen. So what does it really mean for investors? Well, it, you know, the same with the Greek bond spreads, with that great crisis we had a few years ago. And and, and, and you see it occasionally in the Italian bond markets as well. Um, no, what those, what those interest differentials are telling you is that the European Central Bank does not have legitimacy, does not have full political legitimacy. It relies on the goodwill, and no more than that, the goodwill of its members. And if one of them was to walk away, who knows what that means. Um, I'm not suggesting that AFD will win the next elections in Germany, but boy, 
they are rapidly rising up the polls. And of course, they were founded. They were founded as a movement that said the euro might be good for German exports in the short term, but long term, it's not where we should be. Now, look, I don't think these things are going to. I don't think these things are going to um, spiral in the short term. But we are seeing, uh, you know, medium term seeds of massive problems, as you and I have been predicting ever since we started working together. One of the underlying arguments for Brexit was that it's not about what the EU is, but what it's becoming over time and what it's going to become in the future. And a lot of those arguments were very much dismissed by the people who are encouraging us to remain. Is this a good example of the advantage of Brexit being about avoiding the EU's future? Yeah, it's not about not being on the train when it hits the buffers. And I'm still certain it will hit the buffers. And, you know, interestingly, I mean, despite all of our frustrations that we haven't deregulated and done the things we've wanted. Actually, you know, since that night we left uh, the European Union, our GDP is stronger than France's and Germany's. Um, uh, interestingly, um, optimism surveys show we're actually now the most optimistic country of all the European nations for the next 12 to 18 months. So, so you know, I'm not happy with where we are, but I'm happier than if we were tied more deeply into that political union. And a, and a political union without full financial and fiscal legitimacy. Um, so, no, no, no. I mean, there's no regrets from me about what we've done. We are in a better place. We could do better still. We'll have to splice in some music from The Great Escape in the end then. Nigel, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for watching. Well, thank you for watching. And I hope you agree it's never been more important to take control of your own money, your own financial situation. We do a daily free email, a fortune and freedom daily email with lots of knowledge, lots of insight. It's a very useful way of protecting yourself for the future. So please click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com and get my daily email.